Section 39 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 39. The Relic. To the Abbe Louis d'Anmer at Soissons. My dear Abbe, my marriage with your cousin is broken off in the most stupid way, all on account of an idiotic trick which I almost involuntarily played my intended. In my perplexity I turn to you, my old school chum, for you may be able to help me out of the difficulty. If you can, I shall be grateful to you until I die. You know Gilbert, or rather, you think you know her, but do we ever understand women? All their opinions, their ideas, their creeds are a surprise to us. They are full of twists and turns, of the unforeseen, of unintelligible arguments, of defective logic and of obstinate ideas, which seem final, but which they alter because a little bird came and perched on the window ledge. I need not tell you that your cousin is very religious, as she was brought up by the white, or was it the black, ladies at Nancy. You know better than I do, but what you perhaps do not know is that she is just as excitable about other matters as she is about religion. Her head flies away just as a leaf is whirled away by the wind, and she is a true woman, or rather girl, for she is moved and made angry in a moment, starting off at a gallop in affection, just as she does in hatred, and returning in the same manner, and she is pretty as you know, and more charming than I can say, as you will ever know. Well, we became engaged, and I adored her, as I adore her still, and she appeared to love me. One evening I received a telegram summoning me to Cologne for a consultation, which might be followed by a serious and difficult operation, and as I had to start the next morning, I went to wish Gilbert goodbye, and tell her why I could not dine with them on Wednesday, but would do so on Friday, the day of my return. Ah, beware of Fridays, for I assure you they are unlucky." When I told her that I had to go to Germany, I saw that her eyes filled with tears, but when I said I should be back very soon, she clapped her hands and said, I am very glad you are going then. You must bring me back something, a mere trifle, just a souvenir, but a souvenir that you have chosen for me. You must guess what I should like best, do you hear? And then I shall see whether you have any imagination. She thought for a few moments and then added, I forbid you to spend more than twenty francs on it. I want it for the intention and for a remembrance of your penetration and not for its intrinsic value. And then, after another moment's silence, she said in a low voice, and with downcast eyes, If it costs you nothing in money, but is something very ingenious and pretty, I will... I will kiss you. The next day I was in Cologne. It was a case of a terrible accident which had plunged a whole family into despair, and a difficult amputation was necessary. They lodged me in the house, I might say they almost locked me up, and I saw nobody but people in tears, who almost deafened me with their lamentations. I operated on a man who appeared to be in a moribund state, and who nearly died under my hands, and with whom I remained two nights, and then, when I saw that there was a chance of his recovery, I drove to the station. I had, however, made a mistake in the trains, and I had an hour to wait, and so I wandered about the streets still thinking of my poor patient, when a man accosted me. I do not know German, and he was totally ignorant of French, but at last I made out that he was offering me some relics. I thought of Gilbert, for I knew her fanatical devotion, and here was my present ready to hand, so I followed the man into a shop where the religious objects were for sale, and I bought a small piece of a bone of one of the eleven thousand virgins. The pretended relic was enclosed in a charming old silver box, and that determined my choice, and putting my purchase into my pocket I went to the railway station, and so on to Paris. As soon as I got home I wished to examine my purchase again, and on taking hold of it I found that the box was open and the relic missing. I searched in vain in my pocket, and turned it inside out. The small bit of bone, which was no bigger than half a pin, had disappeared. You know, my dear little abbe, that my faith is not very fervent, 
But, as my friend, you are magnanimous enough to put up with my lukewarmness and leave me alone, and to wait for the future, so you say. But I absolutely disbelieve in the relics of second-hand dealers and piety, and you share my doubts in that respect. Therefore, the loss of that bit of sheep's carcass did not grieve me, and I easily procured a similar fragment, which I carefully fastened inside my jewel box, and then I went to see my intended. As soon as she saw me, she ran up to me, smiling and eager, and said to me, "'What have you brought me?' I pretended to have forgotten, but she did not believe me, and I made her beg and even beseech me. But when I saw that she was devoured by curiosity, I gave her the sacred silver box. She peered overjoyed. A relic! Oh, a relic! And she kissed the box passionately, so that I was ashamed of my deception. She was not quite satisfied, however, and her uneasiness soon turned to terrible fear. And looking straight into my eyes, she said, Are you sure that it is genuine? Absolutely certain. How can you be so certain? I was trapped, for to say that I had bought it of a man in the streets would be my destruction. What was I to say? A wild idea struck me, and I said in a low, mysterious voice, I stole it for you. She looked at me with astonishment and delight in her large eyes. Oh, you stole it? Where? In the cathedral, in the very shrine of the eleven thousand virgins. Her heart beat with pleasure, and she murmured, Oh, did you really do that? For me? Tell me all about it. That was the climax. I could not retract what I had said. I made up a fanciful story with precise details. I had given the custodian of the building a hundred francs to be allowed to go about the building by myself. The shrine was being repaired, but I happened to be there at the breakfast hour of the workmen and clergy. By removing a small panel, I had been enabled to seize a small piece of bone, oh, so small, among a quantity of others. I said a quantity as I thought of the amount that the remains of the skeletons of eleven thousand virgins must produce. Then I went to a goldsmith's and bought a casket worthy of the relic, and I was not sorry to let her know that the silver box cost me five hundred francs. But she did not think of that. She listened to me, trembling in an ecstasy, and whispering, Oh, how I love you! And she threw herself into my arms. Just note this. I had committed sacrilege for her sake. I had committed theft. I had violated a church. I had violated a shrine. Violated and stolen holy relics. And then for that she adored me, thought me perfect, tender, divine. Such is woman, my dear Abbe, every woman. For two months I was the most admirable of lovers. In her room she had made a kind of magnificent chapel in which to keep this bit of mutton chop, which, as she thought, had made me commit that divine love crime, and she worked up her religious enthusiasm in front of it every morning and evening. I had asked her to keep the matter secret, for fear, as I said, that I might be arrested, condemned, and given over to Germany, and she kept her promise." Well, at the beginning of the summer, she was seized with an irresistible desire to see the scene of my exploit, and she teased her father so persistently, without telling him her secret reason, that he took her to Cologne, but without telling me of the trip, according to his daughter's wish. I need not tell you that I had not seen the interior of the cathedral. I do not know where the tomb, if there be a tomb, of the eleven thousand virgins is, and then, it appears, it is inapproachable, alas." A week afterward, I received ten lines breaking off our engagement, and then an explanatory letter from her father, whom she had, somewhat late, taken into her confidence. At the sight of the shrine, she had suddenly seen through my trickery and my lie, and at the same time discovered my real innocence of any crime. Having asked the keeper of the relics whether any robbery had been committed, the man began to laugh and pointed out to them how impossible such a crime was. But from the moment I had not plunged my profane hand into venerable relics, I was no longer worthy of my fair-haired, sensitive betrothed. I was forbidden at the house. I begged and prayed in vain. Nothing could move the fair devotee, and I became ill from grief. Well, last week her cousin, Madame Darville, who is your cousin also, 
sent me word that she should like to see me. And when I called, she told me on what conditions I might obtain my pardon, and here they are. I must bring her a relic, a real, authentic relic of some virgin and martyr, certified to be such by our Holy Father, the Pope, and I am going mad from embarrassment and anxiety. I will go to Rome if needful, but I cannot call on the Pope unexpectedly to tell him my stupid misadventure. And besides, I doubt whether they allow private individuals to have relics. Could not you give me an introduction to some cardinal, or even some French prelate who possesses some remains of a female saint? Or perhaps you may have the precious object she wants in your collection? Help me out of my difficulty, my dear abbe, and I promise you that I will be converted ten years sooner than I otherwise should be. Madame Darvia, who takes the matter seriously, said to me the other day, Poor Gilbert will never marry. My dear old schoolmate, will you allow your cousin to die the victim of a stupid piece of subterfuge on my part? Pray prevent her from being virgin eleven thousand and one. Pardon me, I am unworthy, but I embrace you and love you with all my heart. Your old friend, Henri Fontal. End of section 39. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.